Bye, Terry. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another session of Visibilities, Visually Impaired Seniors' Abilities. We've got quite a lineup this evening of people to talk about senior centers. You know, in a couple of the calls that we've had uh, over this past four months now, I think we've been doing these, um, people have, uh, have talked about senior centers and what can we do to become more integrated into them? Uh, what can the senior centers do to be more welcoming uh, to people who um, maybe have a long time vision loss, maybe are uh, newly uh, news, newbies into the vision loss uh, community. And so we're going to hear from three people this evening who are experienced in the field as directors um, of senior centers and but first and first I want to introduce Jeff Thomas with us who's the president of the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss and several members of AAVL and I want to welcome everyone. Good evening everyone. Good evening. I think this is like to if, if you'd like to uh, kind of open it up and Sure. This is a topic that we've probably been talking about for decades. I mean, senior centers have been an important segment of the um, elder community for as long as I can remember. And yet we've really done a very poor job for the most part in integrating ourselves, that, that meaning those of us with vision loss, into how senior centers operate. So it's time we stop talking about it and do something about it. So we put this call together um, with some folks who really are going to um, give you some ideas about um, the best way to handle it. I'm gonna introduce a couple of them and then Terry is gonna introduce uh, the third. The first one is somebody who needs no introduction to most of you on this call, I think. And that is our own former New Yorker and current Virginian, uh, Lori Sharp, who knows more about senior issues, I think, than um, I will ever learn. Um, and so that is our first guest. Our second one is someone from who, who I suspect uh, Lori knows pretty darn well. Um, from New York City, who has been involved in a number of our own um, ACB, you know, calls and conventions and different things, um, and who operates a senior center that, um, I don't know what the word caters is the appropriate term, but that does an awful lot for persons with vision loss, and that is Nancy Miller. And the third person I'm going to let... Um, Terry introduce. And our third special guest this evening is Terry Romanoff. And Terry and I go way, way back, long before, long before. Okay, bye-bye. Hello? Hi. Sorry. Terry and I go way back. Terry actually was my supervisor on my first full-time position way back in 19, I think we originally met in the summer of 1970. Wow. And um, kind of trained her well at not knowing what to expect from someone with a, with a vision loss. Um, but boy, could she handle it well. And Terry is retired now, but she ran a senior center in Cambridge, Massachusetts um, for a number of years. And I want to welcome her to our program tonight as well. Um, maybe we should 
why don't we go in the order that everyone was was uh, introduced? And I guess first we'll talk to Laurie. Thank you for having me tonight. Um, I don't. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. So why don't you each address us. the problems you think we face with respect to senior centers, and then we'll get ideas for solutions to those problems. But let's talk about the problems first. Funding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, re I really do think that funding is um, an interesting, it is a big component, um, you know, and um, hello, for people who were Listen, I talk right now. I'm on the, I'm on the may thing. be one of I'll their primary, uh, you know, disabilities, whether it be congenital or adventitious. Um, oh, call me back after. You know, it's the type of thing where the senior centers are not always prepared to handle After that. eight. And, um, you know, they don't, it, with regards to other disabilities that are more medical in nature, whether that be a, a dementia type of situation or Alzheimer's or somebody that has significant health issues, they may be going to more of like a, a daycare type of setting. And that's, you know, not always appropriate for people who are blind. And the, um, you know, blindness may be their primary disability. Um, but the centers with the more medical needs are higher funded very often because they get insurance reimbursements and things like that um you know and as as blindness is a a fairly small percentage of the population overall but large within the senior community and you know it's it's a uh can be a difficult situation uh to integrate people into a blindness uh, in, into a, a generic setting, um, you know, they'll say things like, oh, I don't have, you know, 10 bucks to spend on braille cards or something like that, where they don't, they go to the dollar store and pick them up, <laughs> you know, so that's just my, some of my thoughts. Thanks. Um, maybe, maybe we should do it a bit different, a bit differently than what I had originally um, thought we should, how we should run this. Um, I'm going to ask Terry if she will um, talk to us a bit about her experiences um, with the senior center in, in North Cambridge that she ran for a number of years. Um, because I, kn I knew a couple of people who had vision loss um, and had serious low vision issues and such who absolutely adored being there and thought the world of her and, and the inclusiveness that they felt in many, many ways. And I'd like to just get some ideas from Terry of how she managed to do that. So oh. without further ado, I am going to introduce Terry Romanoff, a very, very dear friend for 50 years now. Are we that old? Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> We, we were only seven and eight when we were writing out. Right, we were child here. workers, right. <laughs> yes, um, I ran the senior center for many years. My main thing when I took over that center was I wanted it to include everybody. Anybody who came in would be welcome and we would offer whatever aids they might need, depending. We had a vision group that came. I did not run that. That was under the Division of the Blind in Massachusetts, but they had shuttles and buses and special needs, um, taxis, whatever the people needed to come to the center. Um, we had a low vision and blind group and they were one of the big groups that came once a month and they stayed for lunch and they made a whole like, you know, afternoon of it. And they had speakers and they had all kinds of um, different events to keep the people happy. And once a year they had a big, big party where they all met in some place in Boston in one of the big, big event places and uh, they, you know, they really seemed to have a lot of fun and they enjoyed it and it was all ages. The senior center usually was for people 60 and over in Cambridge. However, the vision group and we also had a stroke support group 
were for any ages. And we made them as comfortable as we could. And many of them, we, we talked about the programs and that you know, we would include them in any program they wanted to be in. Uh, and we would make sure that it was accessible for them. And if they needed someone to come with them, they were allowed to. Or we had some volunteer students from Harvard and Lesley College mainly, and they would volunteer to be with them and accompany them. So we tried to make everyone feel included at that center. When I first opened it, uh, there, there was no other center in Cambridge actually. Then they opened one 10 years later. But um, what happened was in the new one, people said it was very clicky. They had the groups, a lot of the groups were very separated and they didn't want to include them. Or they, they didn't want to join. I don't know exactly what went on with that, but we were very fortunate that many people would come in to try for a program. You know, some of the physical programs, some of the, um, the talks and the different events we had, we had parties and we had musicians come in and we were lucky we live in a place where there were so many colleges we had a lot of students who volunteered to do these things. And I also had a lot of interns who worked with me um, studying social work. And some of them came as often, even when they were done their internship, they would still come to the center and volunteer to do things and work with the seniors. And it worked out very, very well. The intergenerational programs, we did that. We tried to do as many things as we could. If we went on, we used to go on day trips and um, if anyone needed accommodations, we would arrange for that, even if it meant taking a special little shuttle bus or something that they could fit, you know, whatever they needed. And if they needed accompaniment, we would find somebody to go with them, one of the staff or one of the volunteers to accompany them. So what we tried to do was include everybody. And, you know, I know some programs were probably very hard to access, but others, you know, were very we opened, and I, I never turned anybody away, let's put it that way. And I, I wish that that had continued, but it hadn't. We had a special needs group also. And there again, they had people come with them. But if we did something, um, an event of any kind, we also had volunteers there to help them and to work with them. And we had a That's, lot. Hello, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, no, go right. I don't want to stop no, your no, flow. You have, a, have a question. Go ahead. I was just going to say that is fantastic of all the things that you did at your center. That's great. I tried to reach out to the whole community. Um, we also had a, a senior special needs group and we worked with them and I had volunteers help and we did a lot of activities and different things with them. And they used to look so forward to coming and oftentimes they would come for other things. You know, and at first it was a little difficult. Surprisingly enough, some of the most educated people, professors and doctors in Cambridge complained a little because that these people were not the same as them. And I said, you know, that's common. I said, and they even used words that we didn't allow people to use about different groups. And I said to them, I said, you know, of all people, I would expect you people to understand they're all seniors and they all belong here. And if you don't like it, then that's your problem. And I got a little feedback on that, but I think I was right because everybody should be treated the same. And I think people who were that educated would know that without somebody telling them. So we've got to- Excuse me, excuse me. Where's that center? Uh, it's in North Cambridge. Today. No, no, no. Today as to how it's, how is it the same as when you were working it? It's changed a lot. They don't have a lot of the programs I had. They don't have a lot of the volunteers that I had. I did a lot of outreach for volunteers. I went to all the colleges and I spoke. I had a friendly visiting program that I was running at the time too. And I went there and I would, you know, talk to these students about volunteering. Many of them wanted to because they had a grandparent or an aunt or somebody that they were very, very close to. And now they were living here in Cambridge going to school and they missed that contact. And some of them had very close relationships with the people that they spent time with. So it was- so, And, uh, and so when Nancy, you were working- Hold on and, for a excuse second. Excuse me. Yes. Hold on. So Nancy, um, you're on, correct? Yes, she is. Okay. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story and also address Lori's point in terms of how you've been able to 
procure funding um, for your center, because I think that is a vital piece of the puzzle. And then, Jeff, I would just like to add something after Nancy speaks. Sure, absolutely. Sure. Thank you, Jeff. Um, so I've been the executive director, CEO of Vision Services for the Blind and Visually Impaired for 33 years. But I started at the agency in 1971, uh, both in the summer program and then when I got my master's degree in social work as a social worker. And starting in 1964, Visions actually paid staff, we hired staff to help integrate visually impaired and blind older adults into local senior centers around New York City. And that program still exists today. There are over 250 senior centers in the five boroughs of New York City and that are funded by city government through the New York City Department for the Aging. But there are an additional 50 or so what are called senior clubs that tend to be smaller, um, less well-funded, but often catering to a particular population. So for example, uh, when the uh, Indian population of older people uh, who uh, had particular dietary needs and who came speaking a variety of dialects, uh, a social club started called India Home. So Vision's goal since the 1960s has been trying to figure out how to get neighborhood senior centers to be welcoming for blind and visually impaired seniors. And what we've learned for all those years is that vision loss is not very well understood by the aging network. That includes the staff as well as the older participants themselves. There's a tremendous amount of fear around blindness and losing vision and a real reluctance to identify as a visually impaired person, often people will just say, well, I'm getting older, so my eyes don't work as well. We find that in terms of accessing rehab services as well, it often takes more than five years from a diagnosis and a functional vision loss before somebody will actually call up or um, try to access services through a vision rehab agency. We also find that when somebody begins to lose significant vision loss, they tend to drop out of going to the center, that there's embarrassment, people are afraid of dropping food, maybe having dirty clothing, maybe not being able to navigate the senior center as independently as possible, often not asking for help, but just feeling uncomfortable, embarrassed, particularly in the beginning of vision loss when there's still an adjustment and not having the acknowledgement and the training yet to realize you can be as independent as you wanna be, um, but you have to reach out and use those non-visual techniques. Door-to-door -door transportation was key, that the only centers where we found it was successful to integrate blind and visually impaired older persons were the centers that had their own vans that were picking up people who couldn't walk to the center. And that included blind or visually impaired persons that generally had other chronic health conditions that made it difficult for them. And so they were on the van with people who were wheelchair users or people who used uh, regular support canes or people who might've been post-stroke. Anybody who had difficulty with mobility was transported to the local senior center through a van door to door. And 
the other thing that we found that was extremely successful was we could help train an older person with vision loss to be so confident about their ability to not only participate, but to also lead, that we had the greatest success when the visually impaired member became a member of the senior center council or the leadership group or uh, became a volunteer or became a staff member by demonstrating how capable the individual was, they began to break down some of the stereotypes and some of the attitudinal barriers that the other seniors had. Some of the obstacles we faced, originally the senior centers that were willing to welcome visually impaired older persons wanted to keep them only in a separate group. You know, Tuesday was the blind day. And we fought against that because we felt that just like having a blind student in an integrated classroom, if they're not truly integrated in all the activities, then they tend to be uh, still considered the other. And it wasn't enough that the sighted seniors were volunteers because then it was they were helping the blind people. And so we really worked very hard to, for example, have a uh, newspaper reading group where the blind person was doing the reading and the sighted people were reading along or uh, knitting or crocheting where the blind member was the one teaching the class so that it wasn't always the reversal where it was sighted people helping blind people, but blind people were actually running classes and, and in leadership roles. Another obstacle that we faced, and Lori touched on it, was the lack of funding for the specialized equipment that would make it possible for an older person with vision loss to participate equally and equitably. And it is more expensive if a person is reading Braille to get the materials, uh, you know, Braille bingo cards are much more expensive or Braille um, playing cards or uh, translating everything into the format of preference depending on the level of vision loss. And so we became the conduit through foundation funding to supplement the budgets of the senior centers that we work with. And they began to see visions as a plus instead of a minus. You know, if you encourage the blind members of the community to come to your center, visions will be able to pay for, and we would have a list of specialized equipment. We would also provide um, activities and programs that would integrate everybody. But even with all that work, and even with being involved in the senior center movement for so many years, only a fraction of the older population with vision loss in New York City was actually attending the centers. Very few, less than 10%. And so we said, what's another way that we can have blind and sighted people actually participating truly equally. And we asked the older people that we work with, and we said, create a center that is demonstrating what it's like to be 100% accessible and invite sighted people to come to participate It'll be our center and they will be our guests. And it can also be a training facility for sighted center directors, sighted staff, and sighted seniors to really understand the full capabilities of what blind and visually impaired seniors are capable of. So in 2012, we applied for city funding and we were one of 10 
senior centers that were called innovative senior centers because we were creating programs that were reaching populations that were not being well served by the neighborhood centers. So there was an LGBTQ center that was funded, Visions was funded, uh, there were programs where the senior centers catered to populations that spoke specific languages. Uh, there was a center that catered to people who were deaf, who used American Sign Language. And what our, um, our goal was, was to not keep the centers only serving that population, but be an example by having blind staff teaching classes, by having uh, family members, um, members of the community who were cited to be able to come to the center and actually get paid by the area agency on aging to train the network about the capabilities. And we successfully have served now on average about 800 blind and visually impaired older persons who attend our center usually one to three days a week. And then on the days when they're not attending a fully accessible center that gives them information in whatever format they want with blind teachers, blind dance instructors, you know, blind people doing everything uh, from soup to nuts. On the other days, they have more confidence to go into the neighborhood center and go in not only as a member, but also as somebody who is able to train and teach and instruct and lead. That's a great story. So Terry, if it's okay, can we let um, uh, Lori and Carrie add um, a quick word and then open it up for questions? Is that a, a way to go? Absolutely, okay. that's fine with me, yes. So I just, I just wanted to add, um, I, when I lived in New York, I worked at Catholic Charities and I worked um, for a while and did some consulting work with our uh, visually impaired center. And at that program, they served, it was only one day a week, but it was um, serving over 60 participants and they had to cap it at that for fire restrictions. Um, and it really, you would see people who were newly blind come into the setting and flourish. And it was something that you typically, and I've been in integrated centers, you don't see that as much. Um, you know, people don't tend to reach out as much. I understand, you know, a lot of people say, oh no, they should always be in a fully accessible center. That's nice, but economically it's not always realistic. And I think now more than ever, we have to be very aware of what budgets are gonna be like. And I mean, most, I think it's federal that they have, or state possibly, I'm not sure, that they have to be 60 and over. A lot of these people are still driving, so transportation is not an issue. Um, but for our blind people, it's always an issue, hopefully. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, um, Nancy has somebody who does teach dance who I've known for about 30 years, and I've watched her really flourish as a person who's blind. When I met her, she wouldn't use a cane. She wanted nothing to do with being blind. I just have a little bit of a problem with my eyes and now she's teaching dance. <laughs> Carrie, anything you'd like to add? I just think that, you know, both of these stories are remarkable, you know, and I think it's more and more places need to listen to things like this because there are a lot of places that are not accessible and seniors can't go to them and it's just not right. They should be able to. Um, I don't know if they have the vision impaired group. They have a new center in Cambridge that's opened 10 years after the one I ran. Mine was a small center and it was very, how would I put it? Very 
much like home away from home, if you know what I mean. People would come in and stay there and hang out for the day. Uh, the other center is more structured and I'm not sure if they still have the vision group there that, may, that used to meet. Right now, the, both centers are still closed. Um, they're doing a lot of virtual programming, which is for everybody that can, you know, there's exercises, there's um, talks, there's uh, different kinds of dance classes. Um, they have DJs come in and play music and, you know, people can access it by many, many different ways. So that's kind of good if people want to join, anybody can join. Um, the, uh, the, the thing that is different is that the other center has like, they have many, many different groups that speak different languages, different ethnic groups. They do have an LBGT group now. Um, I don't know what other programs they're going to add when it reopens again. Right now there's this, you know, everything is done virtually. And everybody misses that because a lot of people who, you know, weren't looked forward to going there, that was their out for the day to meet with their friends over there. And now they're pretty isolated. Some of them don't have computers. They can't access a lot of things. It makes it really, really difficult. So um, I'm looking forward to when it opens again. I stayed involved with that center over the years and I ran different groups and I did some volunteer work. And I, I enjoy it. So I'm hoping when they open again, I'll be able to get involved in something. And, you know, something that um, you've reminded me of with that is for anyone who doesn't know, and um, our organization, American Council of the Blind, we held a national convention on Zoom this year. Had What did we have, Jeff? Something like 1,700 people. Um, of all levels of visual impairment using Zoom. Zoom has probably, if there's anything that's come out of the COVID-19 pandemic that has a positive effect to it, I really believe that it's Zoom. Oh, we yes. have so many people who are blind and visually impaired and just so many people in the whole global community have learned to communicate via the computer or the telephone, like many of us are doing here tonight. You know, you don't have to have a computer. You can just call into it. Um, and one of the ironic things about that is that all of these Zoom calls really level the playing field because nobody can, in, in, you know, in, in general conversation, people don't have to be seeing each other. They're hearing each other. And yeah. that, that that it's uh, to me, it's a it's just seems as though it's a great inlet for for more and more um, blind and low vision people to get involved in virtual meetings of their local senior centers. And you know, I challenge anybody to just get in touch with with your county or your city or town or where whatever your municipality is that's running the senior center and just find out what they're doing virtually because that makes it even that much easier to initially get involved. So before you open it for questions, let me just take 45 seconds at the most because I don't want to waste any time. Um, the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss, one of the things that we are going to do is there is a brochure that the folks at Mississippi State have already produced, which is in the public domain um, to you know, basically address senior centers and give them ideas on how best to serve people with vision loss. So we're gonna do some knitting and tatting and try to modify it. Um, and so to give a tool for folks, and it could be that in different states that, that we wanna have a slightly different spin on what we're gonna say, but, but we want to be able to give you out there in the community something that you can use to to go to your senior center with and and you know and uh, you know a written brochure to talk to them about. So I just wanted to mention that that's one of our upcoming projects. And with that, Terry, I'll let you um, open up for questions. Nancy, I'm just wondering, could you maybe say like a minute worth of what is going on currently with the senior center? Sure. So. Right now, we're offering 100 virtual classes a week. Uh, we've basically 
transitioned all of our in-person classes to virtual mode, um, including teaching assistive technology and how to use your smartphone and uh, dance classes, exercise classes, uh, book reading club, uh, music classes, uh, travel logs. Um, we're doing a lot of counseling because so many of the older people that are in touch with us are expressing a real increase in anxiety and stress around COVID, uh, really being concerned about the isolation, being separated from family and friends. Uh, so we have several licensed social workers that are offering uh, support groups. We have a women only, a men only, um, and then we have support groups that people can join if they're new to vision loss or people who are more expert. And then some who, you know, it's just open to anybody who wants to sign up. Um, where we were fortunate as an organization not to have to lay off any staff. Uh, we had no furloughs, we had no uh, reduction in salary. So we basically found something for everybody to do. And for the senior center staff, we've been doing uh, daily or weekly check-ins with each participant. Someone from the staff will call and the uh, older person will let us know how often they want the call. So some people like a daily check-in, some want just once a week, but it's also enabled us to find out if somebody is food insecure, if they've run out of food, if they've run out of medication, if there's some urgent need, and then we can refer them back to the social workers to be able to meet those needs. New York City has decided to keep the senior centers closed for in-person services. Uh, we don't know when they'll be allowed to reopen. That is not a state mandate. It is not a federal mandate. It's a local decision based on the, um, uh, the amount of people who are testing positive for COVID. Uh, and we're hoping that the senior centers will be allowed to reopen uh, hopefully in November or December. But we've been told to prepare that the centers may not be allowed to open until there is a, a vaccine. So we're gonna keep it remote. Uh, we are providing, our senior center is located in an apartment building where blind people live. And so we've been able to offer some individual one-on-one -on -one services for the tenants in the building who are blind, um, reading mail or you know those types of uh, individual counseling. But the restrictions on social distancing and the limited number of people who can be in a room together is going to greatly change the way the senior center is going to operate, not just ours, but the 250 senior centers around New York City. So we are planning to continue a hybrid model indefinitely. We're gonna to continue to offer programs virtually and we'll offer in-person services and people will be able to choose basically what works best for them. Thanks very much, Nancy. Um, something just occurred to me while you were talking. Let me ask this question. Is there any kind of an organization of senior service directors? Yes, there is. There's, there, they are usually organized by state. So there's, uh, um, sometimes they're called N4As. Um, it's actually the centers that are funded by government have a statewide organization of center directors. And then there's a national organization, actually several, but the National Council on Aging is the 
um, the go-to organization for senior-centered directors themselves. Ah, that's exactly what I'm thinking of. Thank you. I'm thinking the brochure that we were talking about that Jeff is um, Jeff mentioned that we're uh, doing some tweaking of. I'm thinking it would be great to get something like that out to an organization like that, that where we could get that that information spread. Some of the other things that might be helpful for a lot of the uh, participants in these senior centers is just to know the what's available today um, <laughs> online. Like these these Zoom calls that we're doing, we're doing seventy five different Zoom calls <clears throat> at, at least a week. Um, a lot of which are armchair yoga, uh, knitting, knit, loom knitting, hand knitting, crocheting. Um, our visibilities calls, we're doing something different each week. Uh, there's a, a, a lot of different opportunities available for people to network in. That's what we've been so, what ACB has been so successful in in the last couple of months since convention. And perhaps some there are some people out there who could benefit from it who aren't aware that me. Um, find out about it through their senior centers. And, you know, nobody's looking for anybody to get any, to make any money on this or to, for, there's certainly no requirement to force any membership or anything like that. But it, it's, it's just such a very, very open community right now via Zoom. And, and via, there are still some places that are still using some conference call, free conference calling and that. Um, that's getting a little more difficult depending on your location and your service provider and that. But we would, I think it would be a great idea for us to get that information out to the centers themselves. Anybody want to tell us what's, anybody have any other thoughts on that, Jeff or Laurie? Um, Terry, no, I that's wanted a, to add oh, one, one other suggestion. Now that all of these national organizations are having their conferences virtually. It would be wonderful if ACB could be a presenter at the National Council on Aging conference about the importance of senior centers being welcoming for the visually impaired older community. Because I think if you present it on their turf, they hear it differently than if, for example, you were in to invite them to an ACB convention. Right. Yeah. And I wasn't thinking that too much. I was thinking more just the, the ability for participants to be able to network something to get out in a newsletter that these calls are available, that kind of thing. But Jeff, I think that sounds like something that um, you might be the perfect person to uh, follow through on that suggestion. Oh, we, yes, we absolutely do need to make ourselves more widely known, um, you know, uh, among the, these large organizations. So that's, that's a must. I appreciate the yeah. thought, Nancy. Yeah, really. I think that's a great idea. Before we get any further, I just want to say that there, so I'm sure we, we have, do have some people with their hands raised. And I was going to just remind folks, anyone who does want to ask a question, um, we don't have a lot of time, so we need to keep them as brief as possible. Um, and if you uh, want to raise your hand to ask a question, just a reminder, on the PC, it's Alt-Y. On a Mac, it's Command-Shift-9. On a landline phone, with a keypad, it's star nine. And what's the one I'm forgetting? On a smartphone, it's, um, uh, what is it for that? It's in the middle, it, right in the middle, the button right in the middle of the uh, screen on your iPhone. I think I covered them all on that one. Um, I was doing it from memory this time. Um, and we do have a few questions. And the first one, surprise, surprise, is Larry. If you would unmute yourself, Larry. Well, it's always good to hear from Larry because he always has something good to say. He certainly does. First of all, uh, thank you very much. And I want to really, really congratulate Nancy Miller on a wonderful program you have over there in New York. I wish we could transport it to every community throughout the country. You're doing an amazing, amazing job. 
I wish I could say it could generally be true for senior centers throughout the country. Generally speaking, it is not true. And yes, it will be helpful to make the approach to the national organizations and provide them with this information. But what it will boil down to in at the very, very most is a grassroots effort. Each individual has to become an advocate. Don't be afraid of contacting your local senior center. Don't let them tell you that they do not have the funding. They are required to provide ADA access to all programs and services. For the most part, for the most part, senior centers are funded either through their city or state or county, and they do receive federal money, and that makes them required to provide the full range of access to people, regardless of what your disability is. I will just say very briefly that we had a real challenge here to open up the senior centers in San Antonio, which there were eight, and it took finally a meeting with the city manager to get finally them to realize that they had a commitment. They couldn't walk away from it. And so reluctantly, they began to open up their centers. Of course, then the issue is you've got to get blind people to show up and take advantage of those services. For the most part, as someone said this early, blind people are a little bit resistant about plunging into a fully sighted environment and, and asking for the kind of help that they need. But we need to do that. It's part of our role as educators, advocates, and teachers. And so when you go to a senior center and you sign up for an exercise class or a dance class or whatever it is, that instructor must be made aware that you need a little bit of extra help in understanding what they're talking about. So they don't say, so move your arms like this. What does like <laughs> this mean for heaven's sake? And when you go to take a, a computer programming class that there is an accessible computer there for you to use and that the instructor is not afraid of you coming in and taking his or her class. And you know, those are just a couple of comments I wanna make but you must be an advocate. The only way that we are gonna finally really integrate blind people into the sighted community. I think you make a great point, Larry. Um, Self-advocacy has to always be the best, the, the first step, no matter what we do. Connie, if you would like to unmute, please, you're next. Connie. Hello, can you hear me? There you are, now we've got you, go ahead. Okay. So let's see. I, first of all, I want to say that I think it's great that these programs provide transportation because that is one of the biggest barriers um, in the way of us participating in, in programs like these. Um, I'm going to throw out a hypothetical situation and then I want to hear your, you know, anyone's thoughts on it. Um, I live alone now. My husband passed away. If he were still alive, we'd probably go to a senior center together, but he's not here now. So let's say there's a senior center that opens up in that's, you know, after COVID-19 opens up in my neighborhood and there are some classes that I'm really interested in signing up for and I want to meet new people. How would I initially, how would I initially get that process started? Because that's what I'm trying to picture here. I'm not clear how blind and visually impaired people initially get integrated into these senior center programs. So would you please share your thoughts on that? Thank you. Do you know, this is Lori, do you know your, um, do you know where your local senior center is for, usually they go by zip code? No, I don't. Okay. So I guess so, that would be the first step. I, what state are you in? California. I'm in okay. Sacramento, so, California. Okay. So I'm sure you, you may even have more than one. Um, what I would do is reach out to your area agency on aging. Okay and that or your county department of aging and they should be able to direct you to whoever covers your geographic area okay but then after i do that let's let's say i find a class or two that i'm really interested in participating in how would i get that process started once i find a program so this usually is i think you'll find that when you at least here 
um, when you walk into the senior center or call ahead, they have a couple of forms to fill out. Um, and I know when I did it, they were very cooperative and, you know, offering to assist to fill, filling it out and that, and then, um, just, they had the, their calendar of events was available online or on paper. Um, and, you know, I, I think the, the key there again is self-advocacy to get in touch with them and say, look, I know I have, a, I have a vision issue, but I want to participate. I pl plan to come and participate. Can we sit down and talk about what, what adaptations we may need? Okay. Sure, that's great. Yeah. And, 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 and Connie, I know you could manage that. <laughs> yeah, well, because I was a teacher of the visually Again, impaired, so I had to advocate for students. And then I was a student, too. So I've, you know, I've had some practice. You know, I that. And again, so. as, Larry, as Larry pointed out, we need to be our own self-advocates. You know, first, you're right. You know, right. if somebody's, if, you know, if you want to um, go and you want to play bingo with them, you were, yes, they should be fun. They should go out and buy them. But if you happen to have your own, Right. Um, that just makes it so much easier until they can get some. Bring um, your own Braille bingo card, but then might two people might win. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. This is Nancy. I, I would also recommend if they have a website, check out their website first. And sometimes there's somebody who's assigned as a, a new member liaison. Sometimes they call it a buddy system. Um, many of the centers are anxious to get new members and they try to make it easier. And for you as somebody new who may need some accommodations, that may be a better way than just walking in. Right. Um, actually try to connect with the new member committee uh, or whoever is, is part of that center. And they can help ease that transition and also have them prepared when you come in to say, you know, I won't be able to read this. I need to have it in this format or you need to electronically mail it to me and then I will fill it out online, whatever works for you. Um, but it's always best to kind of clue them in so, so they're not acting inappropriately because they're not prepared. And they will act inappropriately. People will say really awful things if they're if they're taken off guard. Right. Could I suggest something, please? Uh, what I did, and this may work for you, Connie. Make an appointment with the executive director of the senior center and ask him her to give you a full tour of the center, all the services and programs, outline them, and let her him know which ones you're interested in and what kind of accommodations you need okay hey, i would just like to Thanks. add to that that's a great idea larry and the program uh, that i spoke about before the vip program that catholic charities does the woman that runs that will actually be 90 in two weeks and she's been running it since the 80s i think uh late 80s and um what she does for new participants is she has them come in before the rest of the group. And that way people can get a tour and understand the layout. Um, and you know, like how many tables there are and you know, that type of stuff. And that way you're not in the midst of everything else going on. Do we have time for one more question? Actually, that's just about what we have time for. And yeah. it's going to be from Casey. Uh, yeah, thanks, Terry. Um, in, in Wyoming, Michigan, we, we've had blind people in, in our center do ceramics for years, but when the law started to change and senior centers were supposed to be more coordinated and collaborating with the needs of the elderly population, I encouraged our group to get involved with the senior centers more. They were reluctant, but my wife goes to ceramics and they needed someone to pop popcorn. So this goes to Larry's advocacy thing. Um, being a vendor, I had I knew how to handle a popcorn machine. So I went in there, <laughs> I popped the popcorn, and my wife took it around to the, all the people. And, and they liked it so well, we actually wound up doing it for their picnic and, and you know, became members. And um, 
that sort of thing. But one of the things that we need to look at with is in the COVID situation, our senior centers reopened with limited programs. And so many in a room, like some person suggested. But one of the issues that we have that that is how they use the ADA when it comes down to if somebody has a helper that they that they choose to have, uh, an instructor can't go out can't go out and um, uh, say they, they can't have that person as a helper and try to separate them. And so I think there needs to be education that if we come in with our own accommodations, that's equivalent to a reasonable accommodation that we would need from them. Um, and, and so I think th there needs to be education on that part of it. Um, I think if we can figure out a way as an ACB to get more connected with these different agencies on aging and organizations <laughs> of senior centers and really put together some resolutions that, that how we can uh, propose moving forward, I think that would be a good thing. Good, good point, Casey. I would only add to that, that when we do those types of things, you know, bring in assistance or whatever, we better make sure that our assistants are following the rules, whatever those rules yeah. might be, uh, because otherwise we're abusing the privilege. Well, but no, I absolutely we, agree with we you. Follow, we, follow the, we follow the rules. So we, yeah, no, I'm not saying you don't. Right. I understand oh. what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, for example, we used to have a situation where people would decide, okay, well, I'm coming and they don't tell us they're bringing their personal care attendant. Well, then that takes away a seat on the bus that provides transportation. So, you know, the responsibility falls on the part of the client to say, okay, well, on Mondays, my aide comes, but I'm coming to the program, but I'm also bringing my aide. You know, I think right. that's kind of what Jeff is getting at. Right, and, in this situation, you know, also following follow safety guidelines and things like that. Right, and in this situation, all the people who are participants who help one another, the one people person that helps the blind person, they all actually are members and all participate in the program. So uh, it's not anybody extra or whatever it actually should help the instructor, but um, we need to, you know, make sure that they understand what reasonable accommodation is, what it means, how it should be implemented. Uh, but but I agree. Advocating self advocacy is probably the top thing in the blind and vision period to me that has to be done if we want to really uh, really feel like we're welcome in these centers. We have to show Absolutely. them what we can do. Well, I think there I again. Think you make a great point, and I hate to cut us short on this. We have one more call, and I've got and I'm going to give her give this person probably 30 seconds because we are almost out of time. So um, area code. Three three zero. Did you have a very quick question? Well, I didn't have a quick question. I, I, am I on? on, on? You're on, yes, Carolyn. On. Okay. What I what I was going to say. We don't have any senior center in in, in Canton. They do have them. Last. I joined the Y to do silver sneakers, and I just showed up. And she, she just puts me in the front row. And at, well, now I, I've been going so long, she'll say, if she wants us to do our hands in a circle, she'll say, stir the pot, or sometimes she'll say, use a rolling pin and, and to do it. But she'd come by sitting in the front row, if I don't know how to do what she, what she wants us to do, she just comes up and gra grabs my hands and does it. Now, there's another yes. blind lady that comes, and they she can bring her own uh braille bingo card to play bingo and they help her with uh the swimming and they'll somebody in the y will put me on the treadmill and set it up for me so that's they, great that's great thank you so much i hate to cut you off but we are right at time so, and so thanks to our guests and thank you so much to all three to to laurie to nancy to terry um it's it, this has been a really good call. We've got a lot of people who've called in. We've got more questions, and then we can handle in one hour. Maybe we'll do another one again sometime before too long. Hopefully, COVID will be over by then. I want to thank Jeff for co-hosting this with me this evening, and thank Terry and I for having touch, these calls. And thank, thank Byron, who's been streaming for us on ACB Radio Community. You're welcome. And just let you know, I look forward to seeing all of you again next week. Uh, we're going to do a little bit different show next week. We're calling, I'm calling it 
Small choices, big changes. What little choice did you make in your life that really changed your life? And I think every one of us has some example of it. And it just be kind of a fun call next Thursday. And I look forward to talking with all of you then. And thank you so much for such a great call this evening. Good night, everyone. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Terry. Are we off, Byron? Yep, you are now off the air. Yeah.